great to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. So this weekend, Julie and I traveled up to Eastern Nazarene College to be a part of District Assembly. We got a chance to see some familiar faces, to catch up with them. We got to do church business, which not always the greatest, but they kind of make it fun with these remote broding devices. And we got to hear a word from our DS, kind of giving us the vision of what New England District is going to be doing in the coming year. So it was great. We got a chance to, uh, to be a part of that. And thankfully, it kind of let out a little early. And so it being my wife's birthday today, we were able to have a couple of hours of kid-free time together, which is always a praise, right? Julia's mom and stepdad had the kiddos, and so we went down to the beach. We got to sit by the beach and have a meal at the Clam Box, a local seafood place. Julia got her seafood. I didn't because I don't do seafood, but it was still a great time. Still a great time of fellowship together. And then later in that evening, we got to come back together again for the ordination service. We got to sit with Donna and Stephen and, and Terry and witness the, this group of pastors be ordained in the church of the Nazarene. It was a special moment. Our GS brought a beautiful message on do you have it, right? Do you have the spirit in you? And later in the service, he presided over ordaining these, these new pastors. And as a part of, of the Church of Nazarene as an ordained elder, I was able to go up with the others and be able to kind of stretch out my hands as he placed his hands on their head and instituted them into elders in the Church of Nazarene. And it was in that moment that I began to reflect back on my ordination service a couple of years ago. And what the, Dia, um, the GS, Dr. Carla Sundberg, said during her message, right? We get this statue of Peter getting out of the boat and Jesus on the sea, kind of getting that call to ministry experience. And she says, remember that story. And she walks us through it, right? Of how Jesus calls Peter he had just come off a night of catching no fish, and he's tending to his nets, and Jesus is teaching. And he says to Peter, let's go back out and let's go fishing again. And Peter's like, are you crazy? Like, you know I do this for a living, right? Like, there's no fish during the day, so why on earth would you have me go drop my nets again? But, but Peter agrees, and they go out and drop nets, and we know that the rest is history from there. We see that he ends up leaving his nets, leaving his profession, and following Jesus. Not only him, but 11 more do the same, and we know them as the 12 disciples, right? The 12 people that Jesus personally discipled himself. And so I was thinking about that call, I was thinking about what it meant to follow Jesus, and that Jesus personally discipled these 12 guys. And it had me thinking during that time, who am I discipling? Who am I discipling? Because at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he kind of gives his disciples this charge, this commission 
right? We know this commission very well, the Great Commission. And so if you have your Bibles, would you join me in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20? We'll be reading this, this charge that he gives. So once you found your place in the Gospel of Matthew, would you join me if you're able in reading the word of the Lord? This comes from Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So just a little context of where we're at at the end of Matthew. Right? Jesus has just risen from the dead. Right? And the Marys have gone to the tomb to kind of tend to the body. Right? Kind of prepare it and look after it. And when they get there, the angel says, the man that you're looking for, Jesus, he isn't here anymore. He's alive. He is risen. And he tells them to go. Go tell the disciples everything that has happened here. And their excitement, that's what they do. They go. They go to the disciples, and on the way, they meet Jesus, risen and alive. And Jesus says the same thing. Go and tell my disciples that I have risen. And it says, as all this is going on, as the women are going back to share this good news that the guards who were standing guard at the tomb kind of snapped out of their, 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 their dead-like state, right? They were kind of frozen because of everything that happened. And so once they get back to the chief priest and share everything that's happened, the chief priests don't want any of this to get out. So they're like, here, take this money and spread this story that the disciples stole the body, Right? Spread that story around. And Matthew says that this is the reason that it was still circulating around that time. And so we get back to the, the mountain, right? In Galilee. If you haven't noticed in Matthew, he spends a lot of time on the mountain, right? We get a famous sermon that he gives on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. We see that Jesus is transfigured on the mountain that he feeds the magnitude or the multitude on the mountain. And so now he gives his commission to his disciples on the mountain. We all know what a disciple is, right? A disciple is a student or an apprentice, someone who would follow a teacher around or a rabbi. They went where the rabbi went. They did what the rabbi did. And they were taught all that the rabbi knew. Essentially, a disciple is a follower, only if we take that term follower literally. I have a friend or a former student who was training to be an electrician. He's taking classes. He has a job working with a professional electrician, and he's being taught everything 
about how to be an electrician. He is learning from the teacher. So when the disciples made the decision to follow Jesus, they had no clue what was in store for them. They didn't know what kind of impact this man named Jesus would have on their lives, how he would completely change their life forever. However, they took Jesus' call literally, and they followed him. Wherever Jesus went, they went. Whatever Jesus did, they did. And they learned everything that Jesus had to offer them. And now Jesus is doing the same. Now Jesus is calling them to do the same out in the world. Abraham is seven now, and he's about to finish first grade, which is blowing my mind. He is growing up way too fast. And he's developing. Right? He's a smart kid. Like He's really good at math. He's able to add really quickly and subtract. He's getting better at reading. He's able to sound out words that I'm like, there's no way he knows that. There's this weekend, uh, his grandma was, was spelling a word. I'm like, you can't spell anymore, because he knows. He knows how to sound it out. He's impressing me with everything that he's learning. He's a social butterfly. He's, he wants to be friends with everybody. And it's wanting to be with friends with everybody that we kind of pick up on some new behaviors, some new attitudes pretty easily. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good, right? And so there'd be days to where we go to pick them up and we look at the teacher and she'd give us a thumbs up. He had a great day. Everything went smoothly. He did great. But some down, then, you know, we had some rough areas throughout our day. And so naturally, we would ask him, Abraham, what happened today? Why did the teacher give us a thumbs down? And often, it's usually attached with a friend's name that's in there, right? And so the more that we interact, the more that we spend time with other people, we kind of start to pick up some of their behaviors, their habits, their mannerisms, right? If we are married to a person for a very long time, we start to pick up on some of these things, I can tell if I'm really focused on something or um, I'm paying attention to detail, I kind of stick out my tongue just a little bit. I might. And then uh, as Abraham's concentrating on something, I see him do that as well. Being a Southern boy, and I say that just in, in terms of I'm from the South. I grew up in the city, so there's nothing Southern <laughs> about me. But being raised south of the Mason-Dixon line, um, as I moved up north, some of the, the vocabulary kind of slipped into mine. So the word wicked would kind of slide into my vocabulary, and I quickly had to repent and ask God for forgiveness because of that. But we kind of pick up these things the more that we spend time with people. right? The more time we spend with someone, the more we become like them. And this was true for the disciples. They spent all their time with their teacher with their rabbi and Jesus, and they began to become just like him. Francis Chan, pastor, author of an amazing book called Multiply, he says in the book that it's impossible to be a disciple, a follower of someone, and not end up like that person. We see this effect happens in good ways and in bad ways. But this relationship with Jesus, his teaching, 
his life, his characteristics, these are all benefits for the life, not just for us, but for the world. And the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus is to imitate him, to carry out his mission, and to become just like him in the process. Jesus teaches his disciples this in Luke chapter 6 when he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so we must ask ourselves, do we spend enough time with Jesus that we look like him? When we're out in the world, does the world see us or do they see the Jesus in us? And so Jesus gives the disciples this commission to go out into the world. And they literally do that. They leave their jobs. They follow Jesus, walk with him in his ministry, learn from him, commit to it wholeheartedly. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't have really job security, how they're going to make it day to day. But they trusted God. It makes me think sometimes Many Christians believe that's the responsibility of the called to make disciples. And by called, I mean there are particular men and women who are called to make disciples, right? It's up to the pastor to make disciples, right? I mean, that's what you get paid for, right? What else do you do all week, right? You only work on Sunday. It's up to the paid minister to do the ministry of the church. All we have to do is just show up, put some money in the offering plate, and and leave feeling inspired or fed by the word. Some Christians believe this. It's for the pastor or the missionaries. It's their exclusive domain to make disciples, right? Salesmen, they sell. Pizza makers, they make pizza. And ministers, well, they minister. And this is true. We do minister. We see in the New Testament that that pastors and elders and apostles were called to make disciples. And they made disciples. However, the early church saw this commission, this this discipleship, they, they took it very seriously. They thought it was a responsibility for everyone to be a part of, not just the pastors. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of the service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We as pastors are called to help equip the people of the church to do the work of the church. Paul says our job to do the work. However, many people come up with reasons, and we can say sometimes excuses, of why we can't or shouldn't disciple other people, right? I'm sure you've heard this before. You know, Pastor Addison, I just don't feel called to ministry, right? 
I don't feel called to, to lead in a local church. I don't feel God's calling me over to Africa or, or across the seas. Um, so I just know I, I can't do that. I don't feel I'm part of the called that he's talking about. Or I'm really busy right now. My, my plate's kind of full. Once I kind of clear up my schedule, once I kind of get some things off that, then I'll be ready to, to disciple other people and to invest time into them. Where I just don't know enough. I don't know enough. I didn't graduate from Eastern Nazarene College. I didn't, get, I didn't go to Nazarene Theological Seminary. I'm not this biblical scholar. I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to articulate it. I just don't know enough, so I don't want to mess somebody up. Well, I just have too many issues. I need to work on myself before I can even think about trying to help anybody else. Once I get my life straight, then I'll go out and I'll make disciples. But until then, I just can't. I just can't do it. Right? We, we, we made these, we've had these reasons in our head, right? I know I have in the past. It's like, there's no way you can use me, God. Choose someone else. And we're not the first, right? We're not the first to come up with reasons. We see in Luke 9, 57 to 62, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow wherever you go. Jesus replies, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still yet another, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom, fit to serve in the kingdom of God. All right, some of these reasons seem valid, right? First, let me have a funeral service for, for my family. Let me bury them, and then I will, I will come and serve you. I will go proclaim your name. Let me go say goodbye to my family first. But Jesus' commands don't come with these exception clauses, right? Jesus, I'll follow you unless it becomes an inconvenience to me. Jesus, I'll follow you, but only when I feel prepared. Only when I feel that I have enough information or I feel secure enough that I'll, I'll go out and make disciples. Yeah, I, I'll love my neighbor, but only when, only when they're nice to me. Jesus simply tells us to go. He says, I will help you. I will prepare you. I will provide for you and help you accomplish the will that I have placed in your life. Brothers and sisters, what is keeping us from making disciples? I believe as a church, and I'm kind of speaking as the general church, that we've kind of taken on a spectator mentality that we're good about just kind of taking it all in. The only thing we really have to do is come to worship, hear a word from the Lord, do a little fellowshipping, and then go home. And the next Sunday, come in, 
worship, hear a little word, do a little fellowship, and then go home. And we kind of rinse and repeat this every Sunday. And I'm not saying that's bad. We need to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be within this community. But I feel like we're not living into this call that Christ has placed in our life when we do that. Who are we discipling that, are, that is young in the faith or doesn't have a faith at all? Who are we journeying alongside and discipling like Christ did with his? We're not meant to sit on the sideline and expect someone else to do it for us or be complacent and content with, you know, I, I, I taught Sunday school for 10 years. I helped out with kids for 20. But I think it's just my time to like, you know, someone else can do it now. I thought it was interesting. We were at district assembly and in the ordination service, we had a couple of pastors who were entering retired status. And we got to celebrate two that were there, the service to the kingdom and the service to the church of the Nazarene. And it was fitting because they might be retiring from the Church of the Nazarene officially, but they're not retiring from the kingdom. They're not just going to hang up their jacket and be like, well, I've done my work for the kingdom. Now it's someone else's. They're going to continue to do the work of the kingdom. They can continue to make disciples of all nations. We are meant to be on the field, participating in the building of the kingdom of God and showing what it has to offer. Are we making disciples? Jesus kind of lays it out pretty clearly for us in the Great Commission. Go, baptize, teach. This concept is pretty simple. There's no degree needed. Most of his followers were uneducated to begin with. There's no need to be ordained or licensed we don't need this hierarchical status to say, I have the authority to do this. Jesus has given us that authority to do it. And the first part he tells us is to go. We must be committed to going out to our communities and sharing the good news of Christ with the people in our life. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go out and be the very definition of our name, Christian. That we are to be little Christ in our coming and in our going. Understand that God has chosen us to be the means in which the kingdom is continuing to grow. Go. And as we go, baptize, right? One of the two sacraments is that we cling so tight to you in the Protestant church. In baptism, we're making a declarative public statement that our life, our identity, our priority is centered on Jesus and his mission. That when Christ died and was buried, so too was I when I was plunged beneath the surface or sprinkled or poured. And that just as Christ emerged from the tomb in his resurrected body, so too am I as I come out of the waters of baptism, a new creation. Baptism is an unmistakable act that marks 
a person as a follower of Christ in the kingdom. So first we go, we baptize, and last, lastly we teach. Teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. We are to help others understand, to live out the commands that we have learned in our time in the scripture, our time in the faith. It requires that we continue in our devotion of studying the word and living it out, all that we have studied. And as we continue to grow in our relationship, then we'll, be, we'll have more clarity, we'll have more depth. We'll be able to guide them into what God is saying to them through his scriptures and what he's saying to them in their lives. There's a big misconception that I think that we get. And that misconception is that we're merely responsible for our own spiritual well-being. And if that were the case, then there would be no real need for the church. But we know that we can't do this alone. We know that we need a community of faith to help teach us guide us, equip us, and to encourage us. We are called to be minister to the people around us, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. It was a couple of summers ago that I was able to uh, disciple a couple of guys. With two of them, I went through the book called Experiencing God and how we can kind of experience God in our everyday experience what he's calling us to. And uh, another young man, I kind of walked through just helping him get a better understanding of who God is. And we began to talk and have deep conversation about what God is calling us to do. And for these two young men, they were looking to go into ministry of some kind. And as I mentioned, the other one was looking for a better understanding of who God is and the call that was placed on his life. And it was during those times of the discipleship and fellowshipping together that I was teaching them, but they were also teaching me. We are never finished with the discipleship process. Like raising a child, there's gonna be one day that Abraham's gonna grow up and leave the nest. He's going to go out on his own, but that does not mean that our relationship is over. Our friendship continues, and there will be times when guidance and encouragement will be needed. And the same with the relationships that we are investing in and discipling. There will be times of guiding, correcting, and encouragement. Who are you discipling? Who are you intentionally investing in? God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's not only up to the clergy to make disciples. It's not just for me or Pastor Julia or Pastor Dan. It is all of our responsibility to participating in making disciples. We all have this call on our life. We can't keep coming up with reasons or making more excuses. And again, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself as well. And so as we close, and I have the band come up and end in our closing song, 
we can kind of understand that this concept of going and making disciples is easy, right? Go, baptize, and to teach. But those practical pieces can be difficult, right? Because life is never the way that we want it to be. It's never easy. But praise be to God that we don't have to do it alone. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have each other. But we also have the promise that he will always be with us until the very end of the age. And so I challenge you to think. challenge you to pray. Who is God calling you to disciple? Who is that person he is placing on your heart right now? What mind is coming? What face is coming to your mind right now? Or maybe on the opposite side, maybe you're looking for someone to disciple you. I challenge you to pray that God will send the right person to help journey and walk alongside you. We all have the same call that Peter had when Jesus asked him to be not just a fisher of fish, but to be a fisherman of men and women. So I pray that this song that we're about to close in will kind of be our prayer that Jesus will send us out into the world to make him known, that we can be his hands and feet, that we can be his light in a world, and that we can be disciples of his kingdom, making disciples of, his nation, of these nations. Stay with us as we sing. Me, I will go. Send me out to the 
places, Lord. Father, help us to take this, this call that you have placed on our lives, not just a call to you, a particular group of people, Lord. You called all of us to be your hands and feet within our communities, within our worlds, to take it from to all corners of the world. And so I pray, Lord, that we can, we can search our hearts, we can search our minds, we can be on the lookout for people who just need more of you, Lord. And that we can personally come alongside them and to journey with them, Lord, and to show them all this, this love and grace and mercy that relationship with you has to offer, Lord, and what you can do in and through their lives, Father. Father, I pray that we can, we can have that same, here am I, send me, I will go for you. So Lord, send us out into your world to make you know. Let us intentionally make disciples who are going to make disciples. 
We ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. David Platt, a well-known author, said from the start, from the start, that God's design has been for every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the gospel is spread to all people. We are designed for this. We are designed to come alongside one another for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to send you out with the same commission that Jesus spoke those years ago to his disciples. Our authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.